Well, good morning and happy Sabbath once again. If you are joining us for the first time, this past summer, the series has been on Into His Likeness, Into His Likeness. In my own walk with Jesus, the question that was asked, that uh, not was asked, the question that I asked was really what is the purpose of life? Is it really to find a calling? Is it really to, to, to find that purpose of, of doing good? Then it came to my mind, and this was our first message in the first week that, we, uh, that I spoke on this, then it came to mind that the purpose of life is not to find a certain calling, because if you look at the Bible, no character in the Bible was so sure of this is what God wants me to do. Moses was hesitant in going to Pharaoh and to Egypt. If you recall that, Joseph could not even interpret the dreams of this big thing that was going to happen in his life. Jonah was confused with his calling. I don't think life is about calling. I think life is about walking with Jesus so we can be transformed into his likeness. And we get that from 2 Corinthians 3.18. Then week two, we focused on if we're going to be transformed into God's likeness, then we have to understand God's likeness. And that's where we talked about the Holy Trinity that we are created in the Trinity model. While God has three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our Trinity model is made up of mind, body, and spirit. So then week three talked about, this was the first week that focused on the mind. That stillness of our mind allows us to recognize and know God. Know Jesus, know God peace, right? That was based off of Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. God is telling you, keep your mind still so you can recognize and know that I am God. You know God, you know Jesus, you know peace. Week four stayed on the mind. If your mind is to walk with God, you experience salvation, This recap focuses on Enoch's story. If you recall that message, we learned about Enoch walking with God and then what? He was no more. Week five was still on the mind. And the message was called, On Things Above. Set your mind on things above. So your life reflects Christ-like attitude on earth. That's what it means to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, that our attitude would be like Jesus's attitude. Though he was equal with God, he came into this world willing to serve you and me. In Philippians 2, verse 7 continues on that he was even obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. Then two weeks ago, week six was called Doing Good. This was the first week that focused on our 
on our body, the, the physical aspect of our body. We're moving on from the mind and now we're looking at the physical nature of our, of our body. And for us to, to understand the physical nature of, of our body, we had to look at Jesus, right? Jesus' actions was always about doing good. And he was able to do good, why? Because he was physically healthy to serve. If you and I are going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, then we have to take into account how do we treat our bodies? Physically speaking, do we eat well? Do we exercise? Do we get activity? Do we sleep enough? So that way, we're always able to serve on a whim sometimes. So today, we continue with Into His Likeness. And the title is called Great Expectations. Great Expectations. What comes to mind when you hear these two words, Great Expectations? Before I go into Charles Dickens' book, is that what came to mind? Great Expectations? That's where I was going with it. I wanted to point out that expectations can physically drain you. Would you agree to that statement? that expectations can physically drain you. And so when you think of great expectations, when I thought of great expectations, when I, thought of, when I read our key text, our key text was what, what I read earlier during welcome and announcements. When I read that key text, this is where my mind went. Great expectations. I don't know if this book is still read in middle school, but when I was in middle school so many years ago, we had to read this. I went to a public school. I didn't go to an academy as some of our children in this church do. But I, I got to read this in middle school. I think I was in seventh grade in, uh, in Mr. Drenner's class. I loved Mr. Drenner. He was uh, really uh, animated in, in, his, in the way he taught class. Now, Great Expectations was written by Charles Dickens. And you might know Charles Dickens because he wrote The Christmas Carol. He also wrote The Tale of Two Cities, among several other wonderful works. And some of the key themes in his writing is human suffering. He loves to compare and contrast uh, uh, rich and, and um, what's the opposite of rich? Uh, poor, right? Thank you, Caleb. <laughs> poor. Yeah, he likes to compare the uh, rich and poor, love versus evil, right? Or love versus separation and good versus evil. That's a lot of the themes that you, you get in his writing and great expectations. You see those themes. Now, what's great expectations about without me spoiling the book? I won't tell you too much about the book, but the book does circ- um, um, it. The center of the story of this book is around this little boy that you see in the picture. His name is Pip. His name is Philip, and I forget his last name. But his nickname is Pip, and he goes by Pip. And the entire book is about his life, coming from a life of poverty. He was an orphan until he becomes a successful man. And, and throughout the course of his life, as you read the book, you see the pain, the anguish, the joys, the expectations that people place on him, the expectations that he places on himself. You see all of this unfold. The first few pages of the book is already attention-grabbing. 
because it starts off where Pip, in 1812, I believe the story takes place in 1812, Christmas Eve, he's seven years old, and, and ce- he's celebrating Christmas with his older sister, who's married to Joe, his brother-in-law. But Pip is disheartened because he's an orphan. And with the Christmas holiday upon, uh, upon, upon that time, he misses his parents. So what does Pip do? He decides to go to the cemetery. He decides to go to the cemetery to visit his parents' grave. As he's there, as he's visiting his parents' grave, an escaped criminal, a convict, comes next to him. A grown, wicked man tells him, you need to give me food or I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. You're probably wondering, you read this in seventh grade? Yeah, I did. So then Pip at that point has this expectation placed uh, placed upon him. His expectation was, I miss mom and dad and I'm going to go to the cemetery to visit their gravesite. Then lo and behold, something so pure and, and, and worthy, something so good, is flipped upside down when he meets this criminal who now says, you need to give me food or I will hurt you. This expectation that he had in his mind about his parents is now flipped upside down when this new expectation has been placed upon him. And that's how the story starts. And that story, uh, that part of the story sets the stage for the rest of the book. That Pip experiences so many great expectations from people that he will meet through the course of his young life and how it's going to mold him and shape him. So let's talk about expectations. What are some expectations that have, been placed, that have been placed on you in your life? If you recall the statement that I just made, expectations can physically drain us. Have you ever come to the point where one expectation is compounded by another expectation by another expectation? Then before you know it, you just feel tired, exhausted, or you just want to disconnect, what are those expectations that have been placed in your life? Expectations that, that when you're young, one of the expectations that I remember was that I need to go to school from kindergarten, maybe pre-K, some start in pre-K, and then all the way to, to 12th grade and then graduate. And the expectation was high, especially coming from my household. My mom wanted straight A's, right? Who, who can relate to that? Who had parents that expected you to have straight A's? How many of you succeeded on straight A's? I'm keeping my hand down because I, do, I didn't have that. Uh, Jim? Mostly? Okay, good for you. Yeah. Caleb, you have straight A's? See? Good. Keep that up. But see, that was an expectation placed on such a young age that you have to go to school. And I was told a few times that if I didn't have good grades, I would amount to nothing. That's kind of like a scare tactic. 
I was scared. So what's going to happen if I don't have straight A's? Oh, you're not going to get into a good school. And if you're not in a good school, you're not going to get a good job. And if you don't have a good job, you're not going to make money. And on top of that, you're not going to look appealing to someone that you, that you want to marry. That's, think about that. Think about how heavy that weighs on one's heart. That's just at the, at the youthful age, right? Now, let's say you're 18 to, what, 25 or maybe 30. Nowadays, it's a little later, maybe 35. The expectation of getting married, that you need to find a spouse. And if you don't find a spouse, then, then you're not fulfilling your potential. That's a heavy expect, expect, expectation as well. My wife and I got married and for a while, we didn't want children, and then we got nieces, and once we got nieces, we decided we wanted children. And so we tried. Then we felt the expectation, you know. Where's your children, Edre? Oh, we couldn't have children. My wife and I couldn't have children, and we can't have children. That's another expectation. I think you understand where I'm going with this. Expectations can physically drain us. How so? Well, have you ever had so many expectations that your gut is in a knot? Or maybe you can't sleep at night? Maybe you're thinking about your adult child and you're wondering, are they ever going to get their life correct? Or maybe you're uh, not sleeping at night because it's a job that the job has certain expectations and you're, not, you're wondering, am I fulfilling my duties? I don't think my boss is happy with me. Expectations all around us. Around us. Great expectations. In our key text today, Matthew 11, verse 28, 30. I wanted to start this discussion or this message today with the idea of great expectations because I want you to have a better appreciation In verse 28, when Jesus gives this invitation, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The people at that time was facing some great expectations, and some of those expectations were so unfair. So that's why he gives this invitation to all the people that are listening to him that day. Remember, there was this massive crowd that had followed Jesus from a town called Nain, I think. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it, (coughs) N-A-I-N. Jesus had just come from a town called Nain. You find that in, in Luke's account, but in Matthew, it's not mentioned here. So there's this massive group of people following Jesus, people who are well, but people who are also sick. So he then says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, I think one of the reasons why we have a hard time transforming or growing into the likeness of Jesus is because there's some expectations out there that just keep us from growing into the likeness of Jesus. Do you see the expectation here? 
You're probably reading this and you're thinking, I don't, where's the expectation? Well, the expectation is that word yoke. Yoke. What is a yoke? Uh, some of you have heard the explanation of this, that, that a yoke is that big wooden piece that's placed on ox or cattle or livestock, large livestock. And this yoke can connect two big bulls together. It's a big wooden piece. I should have put a picture in there for y'all, but I, 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 I forgot to. It's a big wooden piece that locks the necks of two bulls so they can do the work together in pulling a cart or anything else that's very heavy that, that's more, than, uh, more work than just for one bull. So they, they place this yoke, this burden on two bulls so they can work together. Now what Jesus is referring to is if he's saying my yoke is easy and my burden is light, there has to be an opposite then. Because if he's saying my burden is easy and my burden is light, he's referring to something that is heavy and difficult. So where where is that coming from then? That's coming from these verses. These unbelievable expectations. If you've been here before and heard me speak before, one of the things I always recommend is read the passage in its full context. Whoa, butterfingers, sorry. Read the passage in its full context. So when Jesus speaks, it's in, 11, in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. But if you were to read the preceding verses and the verses that follow, you're going to see some heavy expectations on the people. Therefore, Jesus is at the center saying, come and I shall give you rest from these heavy expectations. What are the heavy expectations that we find here? Well, I broke it down for us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 to 6, is the story about John, uh, John's disciples. Okay, remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist is in prison at this moment, but his disciples can still visit him in prison. And here's the context of the story. Let's read verse 2. Matthew 11, verse 2, it says, When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? What's Jesus' uh, Jesus's response? His response is, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to even the poor. Blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. So you're probably thinking, where's the, where's the unbelievable, burdensome expectation in this passage? This is where deep Bible study is very important. Let's go back to verse 2. Let's read this on what's happening here. John is in prison, right? And then he sends, two of, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was truly to come? Meaning, are you really the Messiah? The question I have to ask you is, 
Is John at this point in his life, John the Baptist, doubting Jesus as the Messiah? What's going on here in this story? There's more than meets the eye in this story. There really is. A lot of theologians believe, some, some believe that John, in his later years before he's about to get executed, doubts Jesus. While some scholars, biblical scholars, believe that what's happening here is not doubt from John, but doubt from his disciples. In that John has asked his disciples that if you're doubting him, go to him. Ask and you shall receive, right? Seek and you shall find. Go to Jesus and let him prove himself to you. I lean on the latter explanation only because John seems so devout and willing to sacrifice his entire, like his life as well and his safety in the belief that Jesus was the Messiah. So I I believe that what's happening in this story is that his disciples, John's disciples, seeing all the miracles happen, still have some doubt whether Jesus is truly the Messiah. So where's the expectation there? Where's the unwarranted, unbelievable, heavy expectation? It's the fact that, that, that we, can so, we can be so drenched and marinated in the culture of that day, in the culture of our day, that if Jesus came into this world today, would we recognize him? That's what's happening here. John the Baptist's disciples have Jesus right before them. He sees their miracles. They see his miracles, and yet they're still doubtful. And why? It's because the expectation of the world has caused them to to be blind to Jesus. And so, of course, John's response is then, go to him, talk to him. And so when they do approach Jesus, what does Jesus tell them? He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. See with your eyes. Desire of Ages makes comment that it is through John's disciples as they believe in Jesus as the Messiah, that's where the affirmation comes from. That moving forward throughout the rest of the gospel, so they're the ones that are really responsible in proclaiming Jesus as truly the Messiah. So this interaction that they have with Jesus is profound. This unbelievable expectation. Now let's go to Matthew 11, verse 20 to 24. Matthew 11, 20 to 24. These are cities and towns who refuse to repent. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed in because they, dis- they still did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethesda. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago 
in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have, been remain, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus, I don't want to expound too much on what Jesus means there. So I'll just say it in a gist. What he's pretty much speaking on here is that some cities which, what is a city really? It's a large group of people. Large groups of people still refuse to repent, even though they have seen the wonders of God. Even though Jesus is present, they still refuse to repent. So the example, the reason why I bring this up and, in, and include it in our message today is because sometimes great expectations on us can even be placed on us by the cities that we live in, by the governments that we live under. What happens then? It's one thing when a parent expects you to, to get good grades. It's one thing to expect uh, it, it, for 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 your family and friends to say, hey, are you going to have kids now? Those are, you know, those are still well and good intention type of expectations. But what happens then when it's the city or the country that places a very unbearable expectation for you? What happens then? How, How do you move forward? Do you compromise or do you remain faithful and strong and continue to stand up for Jesus? I think this hits home, especially in our day and age, especially in our culture, Western civilization, especially here in America. You turn on the news, you're going to see both sides. And I'm not saying one is wrong and one is right, but both sides are saying this is how you should uh, vote for this person or this is how you should vote for this bill or whatever it is. Certain things being placed upon us then, that, that is a very heavy expectation then because what happens if you don't go by the expectations of the law of the land? Then you are imprisoned. You may lose your assets. You may lose your home. You see great expectations? You see how heavy this can weigh on our life? Do you see how this can physically affect our well-being? Then the last example, it might not be the government. It might not be your world leaders. It might not be your city leaders. What if it's your church leaders who are placing ungodly expectations? What then? What then? So let's go to that, Matthew 12. I'm going to just go through this. I'll just paraphrase what's happening here. This is the part of the story in Jesus' life where Jesus and his disciples, you know, they've been working a lot. And now they're hungry. And they come to a field, a wheat field. And what do they do? Jesus takes grain 
and he crushes it. And the disciples crush it. And then they eat that grain. Well, the Pharisees, church leaders, see this. And this is happening on the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath, Jesus. And now we have the right to punish you and your disciples. Of course, Jesus rebukes them. He tells them, do you not remember when David was running for his life and he went into the temple and he ate the consecrated bread? What was the punishment then? No punishment. Why? Because what David did was something that was good. And then Jesus continues on and gives the example that if you have a a loved one who has fallen into the ditch, what would you do? Would you leave them there? Even if it's on the Sabbath? No, you would help them. You would rescue them. So Jesus then says in verse verse 12, he says, therefore it is lawful to do good, to do good on the Sabbath. He's correcting the church leaders. He's telling them that the purpose of the Sabbath is to lift up the Son of Man and to, and to bring stronger fellowship with your, with your church family. That the Sabbath is not about do's and don'ts, but it's about, to, it's about lifting up Jesus in the realm, in the space of the church family. I was trying to look for this picture and I couldn't find it. When I was a teacher, I took my students. We had, a, um, we had a camp that we went to where all of the other Adventist schools went to. This was for high school students. Unbeknownst to me, I had gone into the... Unbeknownst to me, someone was taking a picture of me in the lake that day on a Sabbath day. And uh, I had a football in my hand. So the question is, is it unlawful to throw the football on a Sabbath day with all other teenagers watching you? So our newspaper editor was the one taking pictures behind me. It was a pretty cool picture. I, I like it. You know, I think it takes the good side of me and not my bad side. But you see the ball in my hand and the water dripping. Well, guess what happened? That picture was taken and the church, not the church board, the school board had to review my actions. And they said, is Edre still worthy to be our Bible teacher for the students for throwing the football while he's in the lake on a Sabbath day? They even broke it down. I was in that meeting. It's, it's so weird. You're being talked about and, and you're there, right? And I'm in that meeting and they, they broke it down to, well, well how, how deep was he in the water? Is his knee under the water? No, my, my calf, it was right here to my calf. So is that unlawful or lawful then? How far did he throw the ball? Who was he throwing it to? Fortunately, fortunately, there were several leaders there who said that was not breaking the Sabbath. 
If anything, the fellowship that he had with the students that day lifted up the essence of the Sabbath. Lifted up the essence of the Sabbath. I mean, throwing a football on a Sabbath is almost the same argument that the Pharisees made to Jesus. You're breaking the grain, so you're working. That's work. No, that's not work. It's not work. The expectations that we can put on people sometimes. Think about that. If we wonder why some people don't like to go to church, well, do we have unfair expectations for them? So, let's look at Jesus' invitation to rest, and I'm coming close uh, to the conclusion of of this message today. Jesus' invitation to rest now. As you read this verse, how does it sound to you now, knowing what the context is or was of that story? That the people were facing unfair expectations left and right from people that they, that they grew up with, from people that are their own disciples and students, people that are really close-knit to them, and then, then their own leaders of their town putting certain expectations, and then not only leaders of their town, but, but their church leaders who clearly failed them, placing these unexpected expectations about the Sabbath, now does it make all sense? Now, as you read this invitation from Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, does this now have a different impact to you? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And what will he do if you come to him? If you are weary and burdened by all of these expectations, I will give you rest. And how does he give you rest? It's because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is God's expectation? One can say, well, it's the Ten Commandments. Yes, that's true. God gave us the Ten Commandments. And honestly, I have not killed anyone. I haven't committed adultery. And I may have coveted here and there, but I've been forgiven of that. And what I'm trying to bring up is the Ten Commandments are not impossible to, to follow. But if anything, the Ten Commandments is not really do's and don'ts. The Ten Commandments all fall in the one true command of Jesus. John 15, what does he say here? Turn your Bibles with me here. John 15, verse 12. Can I get a volunteer to read that for us? John 15, verse 12. What does Jesus say here? Nathan, would you like to read that for us? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Right. That's Jesus' expectation for us, for you and me. The only expectation that God has for you and me is to love one another. And how does the Ten Commandments fit into that? Well, the Ten Commandments is about love. The Ten Commandments is all about how you treat, uh, how you treat others and how you follow God. That's the gist of the Ten Commandments. Don't look at it as do's and don'ts. If anything, for us to understand God's love, we have to understand the Ten Commandments. And that's it. There's no other do's and don'ts that we have to 
There's no checklist. Have you ever applied for a job before that you were really interested in and you're looking at expectations and then you see a long list of expectations? Uh, Ideal candidate will work with the leadership team. Ideal candidate must be well-spoken, well-groomed. The ideal candidate will check this and check that and check this and check that. That's not God. His only expectation to being a Christian is what? To love one another. Let that be the starting point. Let that be the guide on how you treat others and how you treat yourself as well. So, let's bring this in full circle. Oh, I already answered that. So what does Jesus expect of you? Love. So this is the last question I leave with you is how reasonable are your expectations? How reasonable are your expectations that you place on your loved ones? on your children, grandchildren, on your spouse? Is it an expectation that is rooted in love? How reasonable is your expectation for yourself? Because let's be honest, some of us can really be hard on ourselves, right? In my early 20s, and you know my history, right? You know I was a, I was a wayward kid always getting in trouble, but I, uh, my, my art was the thing that I wanted to take me far. And I said, by the age of 25, I'm going to be a very famous artist. <laughs> Nathan, you're laughing. And rightfully so, because it never happened. But that was my expectation that I put on myself. But that expectation was not rooted out of love. It was rooted out of, I'm going to prove you wrong. It was out of hate. It was out of jealousy. It was out of selfishness that I made that, that expectation for myself. But when I finally put love as the expectation for me, I grew. And I saw the blessings of God. What are the expectations that you place on others? What are the expectations that you place on yourself? Now, Let's also ask this question in the setting of our church. What's, what's the expectation that we put on each other? What's the expectation that we put on, on new people coming through those doors? Are they reasonable? But most of all, are they expectations that will bring them to God, to bring them to the cross, to bring them to the foot of Jesus? Or are they expectations that will cause them to to turn around and walk out the doors never to be heard from again? It's a good thing for us to contemplate on, to reflect on, to say what is the expectation that we put on ourselves? And it's a question I have to ask myself. What's the expectation I put on on the elders of this church? Is Is it fair? Is it doable? Is it reasonable? And the list goes on. We have many leaders and volunteers in here. Is the expectation reasonable? Brothers and sisters, I I hope we can always be a church for all people, that we could be a church for all people to come, to be welcomed, and may, may that happen through the love 
of Jesus. Let's pray. Blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your invitation to come to you. If we, if we are weary and burdened by all the ex- expectations around us, may we come to you to find rest, to find guidance, to find hope. And as we come to you today, responding to your invitation, I pray, O oh Lord, that you may show us how to, how to live life, how to take the one ask that you have to love each other as we want to love ourselves and let that grow in our hearts. I pray that that may also happen in our church. I hope that this church may stay humble in its, in its ministry to the community. I hope and pray that our church may fulfill Jesus' love that one ask, and it's not a big ask. It's not heavy expectations that we have experienced come from others. So I pray, O oh Lord, for that invitation. I pray for individuals here today that maybe there's someone who was on the fence about their walk with you and that I hope they hear this invitation, that maybe they're someone who is going through the, the winds of expectations right now, and maybe they're hearing this message for the first time on how you don't expect much, just to love. May we love others as Jesus love, loves them, not past tense, loves them. Bless us this day, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.